Ross Iceland spaceport, and you will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Welcome to Dead Boffin Spies, the Star Wars podcast that won first runner-up in last year's Wretched Hive of Scum and Villainy contest. Today I'll be joined by Bobby Anderson to talk about the Mos Eisley Cantina. If you listened to last episode, you heard me tell Nathaniel Wayne that the Mos Eisley Cantina is my favorite part of the Star Wars films. I may have gotten a little carried away with that statement, because my favorite setting in all of Star Wars is the carbon freezing chamber on Cloud City. And my favorite scene in all of Star Wars is the freezing of Han Solo in Carbonite. But the cantina scenes are my favorite parts of the original film. I don't know how old I was when I saw Star Wars for the first time, but it had to be around age 3 or 4. And as much as I could follow the plot with the droids wandering around the desert and this kid looking at the sunset wishing he had cooler parents, the moment we enter the cantina was the moment that literally blew my mind. And by literally, of course, I meant figuratively. The cantina is as much Luke's entrance into the greater galaxy as it was mine, because suddenly the film bombarded me with creatures of all sorts. Some looked goofy, and some looked scary. Some were drinking and some gambling. Some were playing music, and some were in love. It was weird, but it was also perfect, because the characters all had a story I wanted to know. And judging just from the look of the aliens told me those stories represented every kind of genre. From fantasy adventure, to hard sci-fi, to horror, to military, to romance. Even if my three-year-old brain didn't know half of these terms, some primordial information was passed on to me. The Mos Eisley Cantina was the center of the universe. This is where all stories and characters come together. And that's just me talking about Moma Naden and Feltpern Trevag. That's not even me talking about the heroes coming together here. But that's exactly what happens. But you don't have to take my word for it alone. Let's hear what Bobby Anderson had to say. Do you really think we're going to find a pilot here that'll take us to Alderaan? Um, most of the best freighter pilots will be found here. Only watch a step. This place could be a little rough. I'm ready for anything. We had seen aliens before, we had seen craziness before. I mean, Lucas, we've seen the Jawas, we've seen the droids, we've seen the Tuscan Raiders. So it's not like this is our first glance at alien creatures, but it is sort of, like, kind of. Because everything we've seen up till then is humanoid. Yeah. Right? Tuscan Raiders, they are, they are very alien, but they are humanoids. Right. right. right? We've seen um, the Jawas, you just, like, little toddlers. Right. right. Like, We've seen humanoid aliens, so we know they're out there. Like yeah. it's not a big reveal that oh, this is a whole other planet. Yeah. But this is the first time you see like, like, big-headed, big-eyed, tiny-eyed, yeah, you yeah. know, narrow-slit sort of proboscis-type <laughs> aliens. And it's also, it's it's kind of the first time where that doesn't feel like it's necessarily progressing the plot. Like, the Jawas and the Tusken Raiders were there to get Luke or to get the droids from point A to point B. Hmm. Once we get into that cantina, it's like, this is just 
these guys just have their own lives. This is background, but you also get the sense that all of their stories are kind of important. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all doing something that's pretty exciting. The cantina scene often gets compared to Jabba's palace mm-hmm. because they're both, like, the sort of the creature set. The craziness of the aliens. But what I didn't like about Jabba's palace is that it felt like everybody was just sort of sitting around, either getting high or mm-hmm. waiting for Luke to show up. Like, when, when the heroes didn't go there, nothing happened at Jabba's palace because they're just kind of sitting around waiting for something interesting to happen. Whereas in, in the cantina, I felt like if Luke and Obi-Wan hadn't walked in there, yeah. you still would have had a, a thousand interesting stories coming out of there, and well, up to and including Han shooting Greedo. It's, it's the difference between what you're talking about is aliens as like actors on the, an alien as a backdrop. Right. So in Jabba's Palace, I would argue the aliens are really just a backdrop. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. There's nothing really going on because they're not supposed to be anything going on. There's not, you know, they're just sort of there to give you this feel that, oh, this is kind of a shady place. Right. The cantina is very much all about, you are, you are surrounded by these aliens and they, you know, in, at every point, someone is interacting with one of them. Mm-hmm. Luke is interacting with the two at the bar. Obi-Wan is interacting with um, Chewbacca. Yeah. Han is, act- is with Greedo. So there's, there's interaction between them as opposed to just sort of, hey, look, we're in a, we're in a space saloon. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, it's, and everything from like the, the hard cut just to the musical reveal. It's, Obi-Wan has a line later on where he told, tells Luke that he's taken his first step into a larger galaxy or a larger universe. Or something. Right. And I feel like metaphorically sort of in in terms of plot structure that happens in the cantina that's when he's stepping out of his comfort zone and he's he's really just confronted with it's it's the farm boy entering the big city for the first time and he's well, bombarded by all these sights that he's never seen i mean when you think when you think star wars when you're trying to think of like descriptive ways and i'm talking about the whole mm-hmm. series or the original i'm talking about Episode four. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to describe that one movie, two words that jump to mind are space western. Yeah. Right. More so, I think, than any of the other ones. I okay. think. I think the second one, if you wanted to put that sort of label on it, you'd probably go more military. Yeah. It's sort of like a like a military movie because yeah. you get sort of that bigger rebellion picture. Um, I think if you're gonna describe the first movie, Episode four, space western is is the best way to do it. And I think this really sets that tone. Yeah. Because it really is the hero opening those swinging doors into the saloon. Yeah. And you see the card games, you see the band, you see all this stuff, and it's really sort of, okay, this is the Wild West. Mm-hmm. There's it's no perfect. there's no law here, there's no uh, I mean, government. Up to the fact that they call it a cantina. Right. You don't get that phrase right. that exactly. outside of what the Western genre. So. Exactly. It's so to me it it sets the tone for that entire movie. I agree. Because even, I mean, even once you get into, you know, sort of the Death Star aspect and escaping it and destroying it and all that stuff, it it still feels like one guy out in the desert on a horse. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what is an X-wing other than the the exactly. metaphorical horse? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You're you're chasing the bad guy through the yeah. desert on a yeah. horse, and so to me, that's why it's such a it's a cool scene, mm-hmm. and it's also important. The main thing, whenever I'm talking about a moment or a scene, I always think, what would have happened to this movie if you deleted it? Mm-hmm. If you made this movie X number of minutes shorter, mm-hmm. and this scene was gone, what information are you missing? What 
what's different about it? And to me, you kind of remove that space western. If you if you take out the cantina scene and just have them sort of go into Moss Eisley and you know find a pilot like just right. on the street, right. I think it it loses that sort of luster to it. I agree. It, you definitely lose that sense of atmosphere. Um, the color, which again, you could contribute to the background, but also it does, it sets the tone and almost the genre, mm. as you're describing. It sort of does set that piece. But there are also a lot of dramatic beats in there. Oh, a lot of things we learn about the, the characters. Everything from Obi-Wan using the lightsaber. I mean, he's shown Luke what the lightsaber is before right. that. But that's the first time the lightsaber is used and you realize how deadly and effective it can be. Mm. And the fact that the room stops dead like the music, like it's like one of those like the record skips. The band puts fucking. It's not so much the violence that has stopped the room. Mm -hmm. It's the lightsaber. It's the actual tool itself. Because if, if you if you go on later to the Han and Greedo scene, right, right. First of all, Greedo just has a blaster up. Like right. so that that right away tells <laughs> yeah. you the yeah. the type of place this is. Is that you know you walk into the saloon with your six shooters out. Yeah. You know he can literally have it drawn and pointed at someone yeah. inside the building. Yeah. There's not even a like hey take it outside. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So that's the kind of place it is. He shoots him. Yeah, they check the droids at the door. They don't right. check weapons. Right, exactly. And so it's not the violence that is what's kind of freaking everybody out. Nobody even is really freaking out. They're just sort of like stunned. They're like, right. wow. Right. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Yeah. Some of them might not even know what it is right. because it's been so long. Yeah, and that contributes to the, the sense of exotic coolness that the lightsaber has, it, like, it's become associated with that, and I think part of the part of my problems with the prequels is that the lightsabers weren't special. Mm -hmm. They were a dime a dozen. They, right. The characters lost their lightsabers every three minutes. Right. Um, so yeah, there's definitely there's that important beat of the revelation of using the lightsaber. Well, and not to mention, it's really if you think about the Obi Wan that we get, mm -hmm. right? We get the old retired mm -hmm. recluse Obi Wan. Mm -hmm. It's really. I would argue it's his first moment of, of badassness, mm -hmm. and it's also probably his second biggest moment of badassness. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta do the the Vader Obi Wan showdown is sort of his big yeah. his big moment. But this is really like he's been in hiding for years, and he's still quick on the draw. Mm -hmm. He's still boom off with the arm. There's no there's no sort of slouch in his training. He's still a well, Jedi. And as ambiguous as it is, which I think also makes it cooler because of the way it's shot, he doesn't kill them. I mean, nope. they're, they're left on the ground, curled up in bloody messes, but he could have easily, he could have chopped their heads off, yep. and instead he just disarms them. <laughs> yeah. But literally. Yeah. Um, and he also prefaces, he mm -hmm. talks about, you know, the little one's not worth it. He, like, he tries to talk <laughs> yes. the situation down. Yes. He doesn't just come right in with his lightsaber as a, you know, Right. Like, let, me, let me buy you a drink. Right. We don't he, have, yeah, we don't he have offers to, to buy a drink. Yep. It's 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 like that. That to me felt like what a Jedi should have been. It's right. the Jedi as a mediator. Right. The person that's like, hey, let's solve this. Let's yeah. figure out a way. I'll I'll compromise. I'll buy you guys a drink, even though you're being dicks. Right. I'll get you guys a drink. Everything and it's fine. And then when they push it too far. Out comes the weapon, and he chops off their hands. And then the look he gives the rest of the bar. He's, like, challenging them. He's like, are we done? Yeah. It's like, is it anybody else? Do we need to continue this lesson, or are we, have, we, have we settled this? Then, oh, yeah. yeah. So. Well, I mean, then the, if you move on to the other act of violence in the cantina, the Greedo scene, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, when Han shoots him, first of all, I don't even think the music stops that time around. It, it skips some, does it skip a, a I little think bit? It, it skips a beat, but like, not, there's not two seconds for like people to react and then they go back. It's, there's not even, I don't even think there's yeah. a silence. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like the, the lightsaber was right. silence, right. drop a beat, like right. everybody's looking around. This is literally just, oh, yeah, someone was cheating over there. <laughs> Sabak, right? You know what I mean? Like it's not a big deal at all. Right. It's so casual right. that Han literally flips the bartender a couple credits mm-hmm. and says, "Hey, sorry about the mess." Right. Like, like that poor bartender must be throwing bodies out in the dumpster on a exactly. nightly basis. Like, there's just got he he could also open like a funeral home, <laughs> and it could double yeah. because for it to be that flippant of yeah. a couple credits is enough yeah. to sort of I didn't see anything. He was dead when he walked in. Okay. Is a is kind of a ridiculous right. premise. So again, going back to there's the action of what that how that progresses in the plot, but also what it tells us about the character. Mm-hmm. That Han shooting Greedo down and Han shot first. And I'm not. No, that's, don't. We'll just assume that. That's that's a given. <laughs> Why is there is there another? <laughs> no. Is there somewhere where that changed? I don't. Because not so. as far as I'm concerned, that's um, still. But that, that moment tells us something about Han. And it also shows us that Han is different than Obi-Wan. The, the way that Han will resort to violence and the, how quick he is and how matter-of-fact he is about it, and that Han, he tries to get out of it, he, but he's not, not really. Because he even while he's talking to get out of it, he is he, unholstered. Yeah, he's unholstered. At no point does he think that his talking is going to get him out of this. Sure. Because he is so... If you read in between, he's right. so he nonchalant. He doesn't try to bargain with Right, he's, he's not. Yeah. If he really was trying to get out of it, he would have said, okay, I'll give you the credits. Like, yeah. if he truly didn't want to have to fire his gun, right. he would have said, when Greedo offers the bribe, and it's like, you give me the credits, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. I forget I saw you. He literally has no intention of that. Yeah. If Greedo, if Greedo's response isn't to get up and walk away and say, oh, you have the money, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. then he's going to kill him. Yeah. There's no, from the minute they sit down, it cuts to him mm-hmm. sliding that gun out. Yeah. So that's his plan. Talking it out isn't his plan. Right. He knows he's got to kill right. Rita. Right. So these are the two kind of men of action that we've seen. Even though we're following Luke's story, these are these are kind of the people who are going to be guiding him in one sense or another. Either his spiritual mentor or the person who's literally driving him to where he's going to be the next place. And they're very different people. One of them is older, more sage, more honorable. And the other one is more pragmatic. And he's like, this is the world we live in. Yeah. Everybody's got a gun. you got to bring your gun faster. Yeah. Um, well, and even... So, even though Luke doesn't have any sort of an action scene, mm-hmm. you do see... To I mean, and you can argue this whichever way you want. To me, you see a little bit of um, toughness mm-hmm. out of him. Because um, he, he's not intimidating. No. When, he, when the ruffians are... You know, trying to yep. intimidate him, he just turns around. Like he's right. not giving them the light of day. He's not shaking. He's not scared. He doesn't right. run to Obi Wan. He's literally just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll be careful. Sure. Yeah. I don't know what you want from me. Like, he's not. Again, it's not an action scene. We're not right. seeing, you know, Luke fighting right. off not, the yeah, enemy. He's, but he's not quivering. He right. also might not have the awareness of how much danger he's in. It might be some naivete. I was, I was going to say, the, yeah. point, the point that you could argue yeah. is that he's not smart enough to <laughs> right, remove true. it. So yeah. maybe there's a little bit of toughness in there, maybe there's a little bit of right. ignorance. Yeah. But um, but I mean, he also, he challenges Han. He, he calls him on like things like that. Yeah. And Ben is the one who has to say, 
sit down. Right. <laughs> Let the grown-ups talk this one out. Uh, okay. So something else that I just always fundamentally liked about that is the aliens themselves and some of the creature designs. Yeah. Um, did you uh, did you ever have like a favorite? Did you ever like point to one and just say I really like the look of that one? Um, I did, and to me it was the band. And the reason why is because, namely, it's because of their instruments. Mm. If you look at their instruments, they don't have mouths, <laughs> yeah. right? It's really, it really is sort of, you can just picture like a straw. Yeah. They're literally playing an instrument through a straw. <laughs> and to me, that was always really weird. Yeah, and that's the one that struck with me the most. Yeah. Um, and then you get, I mean, some of the, they range from like really creative and good mm -hmm. to literally just like, hey, there's a werewolf. Yes, there were, <laughs> there's there were a, a few, gamut there. Yeah, of, there were there were two that were just wearing like furry werewolf monster masks. Right. There's the one guy with the devil horns. Right. Um, yeah, those are. And they and they. they but run I still them. I still like those, and they were just there uh, was something, and it was something about just how practical they were. Like I I bought it. I was like. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that just being an evolved alien species that just happens to look like that monster. Yep. And then you've got the the hammerhead, which might be my favorite, the authorians, just like the sort of weird yeah. S-shaped hammerhead with the two eyes and the two mouths. Um, I, yeah, there was something every time I saw it, and and maybe it was because of the toy. Like they they did make a few of the toys, the original ones. From, yeah, I remember those from the cantina, and they only used the names that they had got from the prop department, so none of them had names. So it was just it was hammerhead. It was Snaggletooth. It was Walrus Face or Walrus Man, and then Greedo. Like those were the four ones that they made from the cantina. Um, well, even none of them looked like their bodies didn't look anything like the right. Even the opening shot of as soon as they walk in, you're literally greeted with a pop up of an alien head. Yeah. You literally boom right on screen looks up and it's like the weird triangle sort yeah. of like got this weird sort of snake but almost like manta ray. Yeah, and he's not. They didn't. They didn't ease you into this. They were like, "Boom! Here's the oddity." Yeah. With all the other aliens we'd seen up to this point, we're like, "I can see how a humanoid alien would exist." Yeah. This is the first one, and he literally just stares at you. Yeah. He's staring into the camera and just sort of does this little shifty-eyed thing. Yeah. And he is like a, like you said, he's like a like a manta ray sort of thing. Yeah. And you're like, "Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now I know where we are." Right. Yeah. Was, like I, I'm trying to imagine like being. If I had been old enough to see it in the theater, watching that and just kind of jumping back, up, what? What was that? What is that? Where? Are we? Like, oh yeah, just from shot to shot as they just kind of pan around, it's like, what the hell am I looking at? But yeah, that was. Well, there, and there are so many shots of the aliens. Mm -hmm. It's not like you get that one pop up and then a quick pan and then you start. Oh. He there's jumping between and you're seeing individual tables. Yeah, oh yeah. Like he's he's really making the point like there are a lot of weird things going on here. I swear, I think. I, I was like, I was looking up like a who's who, like Wikipedia entry or somewhere like or Wikipedia, the Star Wars yeah. wiki, um, but like a who's who entry for this. Like, I think there's between fifty and sixty people in that bar. Oh, has to be easy. Like just like sort just sort of like some of them just set dressing and some of them they get their own little shots, but some of them don't. And some of them you never see them, and some of them literally like the the. The one that we just talked about is the species is called Arcona. That's the first thing that pops up. I don't think they made the entire body for that. It's just a head on a stick that they just held up. Um, so, uh, yeah, in terms of the creature and the effects work, and I compare that to some of the things that I saw in the prequels. It's, a, it's just a cartoon bug. Right. It's like, show me something. Show me something interesting. Like the aliens on the Jedi Council never looked. 
that cool of another tree. Because they were set dressing. They exactly. were not, none of, I would argue very few of the aliens were actually there to be interacted with. No. Right. If you, I mean, if you want to go back to, mm-hmm. you know, you can put a little notch on the chalkboard of right. all that is wrong with yeah. what came before. But just about every alien you encounter is there set dressing. Right. The one alien we interact with right. is Jar Jar. That's what we get. We don't get a cantina scene <laughs> of interaction with these aliens. We get Jar Jar. That's the alien that has suddenly become worth following around and interacting with, as opposed to all of the entire intergalactic senate. You could pick any species. You throw a dart and pick a more interesting species to interact with. And I understand that he was trying to make a new Chewbacca, but one that could actually like, speak and interact. But holy God, did he mess that up. I mean, if you're going to have it speak, why speak like that? Why just... Oh, well, and Chewbacca's not dumb. No, he's not. Chewbacca's really not dumb. He fixes... He's a great character. He fixes the ship. Yes. Like, he... Just because you can't understand him... Right. He is a very intelligent being. Right. You also understand that the characters can understand him. Right. And exactly. They're, they're written in a way that he's not providing essential information. No. It's just... It's, and it's, it's almost like you're getting the back talk. Yeah. You get the Han snapping at him like, I don't want to hear it. Right. Like, right. all those yells and shrieks are really just sort of like, hey, jackass, <laughs> yeah. why don't you fly the ship better? And he's like, I don't want to hear it, Chewie. Like, that's really, and you get to fill in. That's what's so great about Chewbacca is you know he's back talking. Yeah. And you can fill it in with whatever you wanted him to say. And that's, I mean, that's sort of your. And he didn't sound like a field hand when I filled it in with my. Right. I mean, you got to talk about the droids. Yep. Refusing service to the droids. <laughs> okay, so they've they have tried to explain that in some of the expanded universe. Material. Have they really? Yeah. Because I, I always had my own. Oh well, let me hear let me hear yours because it's probably better. So, to me, it's not so much. I mean, you'd you'd hate to think that it comes down to sort of a a, a biggest a, a bigot point of view. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you'd hate to think, like, in a, in a galaxy filled with this entire <laughs> array of aliens, no, metal man, you can't come in here. Like, you'd hate to think that, that we're still at that point. Yeah. But to me, it wasn't necessarily that. Mm-hmm. It was, think about the activities that are going on in a cantina. And think about the capabilities of a droid. Right. So, droids can record audio. Yeah. They can record video. Yeah. They can understand... I mean, he's a protocol droid. He can understand everything. And any language, yep. right? Not only that, his senses are probably better. You could sit him across. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you wanted a droid that could eavesdrop, mm-hmm. you could sit him in a table on the other side of the bar and hear the conversation all the way through the chatter. Yeah. Let me isolate the audio signals, and I'll be able to tune right into what they're saying. Yep. Like, it's literally like trying to walk into a drug deal. <laughs> And saying, "Here's my wire," <laughs> right? You are. <laughs> there's a reason you hide it. Yeah. There's a reason that you don't walk in with. Uh, and so I'm recording this. Just, it's for me. Don't worry about this. This isn't going anywhere. You don't have to worry. I'm not showing this to any. This is just my recording, right? So. Oh my God, how much? It's it. How t- do drug deals happen with people with cell phones? They have to have their. They have to put their iPhones. Oh God. On them. Well, and it's it's. So you're right. Okay. Then you're right. <laughs> but. 
it's not blatant. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, yes, we have the capability, and I'm sure, I'm sure in the Star Wars universe it's even better, right? They probably have a little dime-sized thing that records right. HD video and right. and audio, and it's probably one credit that you mm -hmm. that's a kid's toy. Yeah. Right? Like, we have, the, like, the kid's spy set. Right. I'm sure the Star Wars children's spy set <laughs> is much more advanced than, like, the, the ham radio you got yeah. in this kit. So... It's there. Mm -hmm. That that is always there, but it's the difference between putting your cell phone out on the table mm -hmm. and saying I'm recording this, mm -hmm. and keeping it in your pocket recording. Right? Yeah. It's that. It may be superficial, yeah. but it really is sort of a, you know, hiding the wire sort of thing. If you're gonna record, if your if your goal is to eavesdrop or mm -hmm. record or gather evidence or do whatever you're trying to do, blackmail. Mm -hmm. It really is the difference between. Walking into a drug dealer <laughs> holding up a wire. Yeah. You could still be wearing one, and there's a reason they search you, but you don't walk with it strapped onto your face. So that was always my take on it is that, you know, you've got. Protecting the business. Right. You've got criminal. It's, uh, it, I, it reminds me of um, Google Glass. When, okay. when Google Glass was yeah. first announced and they were like, you can take video, audio, everybody was like, how do I know if I'm being recorded? That was a huge thing. Yeah. People were like, I don't want this because now anybody can record at any time. We have cell phones. Right. If you're going to record, you can record. Right. The only difference is now it's it's out in the open. Right. right? It's blatant. I'm staring at you while I'm recording. Right. And so to me, that was always the difference. Well, I'm interested to see how they... I like that idea. Um, how do they how do they ruin so the, this entire mythos that I've built in my head? So you know how you you opened your theory with you don't want to assume that he's just a bigot. Oh god, he, he was just, just a bigot. Oh god. Was, no, they told him he had his whole story. They was there was an anthology book called Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina, and one of them was he just he didn't like droids. Damn it, he just had a problem with them. Now there were other reasons. Like basically, he thought that the galaxy was becoming too autonomous and. Like he could be replaced okay. by a droid. So a bigger they should go, yeah, type of thing. Um, but also, from a from a practical business standpoint, the droids aren't ordering drinks. True, they're not buying food. It's equivalent to bringing so. a child into a bar. Yeah, yeah. They they can't help us like make money. They're and just, they're just taking, taking up, up space. Right. So um, I, I, maybe they fill their. I mean, it was a crowded place. Maybe they fill their occupancy for their fire <laughs> coats. <laughs> I get. I mean. Oh, no, it was. Be. I mean, I, I mean, it's a sort of a human nature sort of thing. So sure. I, I guess even in a galaxy far, far away, haters gonna hate. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But to me, it was always. I always. I, I'm glad that there's a little bit more of a bigger issue to it than just he was a bigot. Yeah. I'm glad it was sort of he's worried about being replaced by there's. Right. Because that at least makes it a big picture issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like oh, they took our jobs. You know, yeah. backwater sort yeah. of. But. Oh God! Just shot down my whole <laughs> no, this whole thing I built up in my head. Well, you can believe that. So I'm, I'm I choose to. <laughs> canon, canon is what you choose to believe. I, I have made that point. And there, <laughs> there are certain things about the movies and the, the everything that I choose to believe and what I don't. Uh, okay. Is there anything else about the cantina that I really want to get to? Uh, I do have one grievance with the cantina. Okay, hit me. So, and it's it's. The um, the Greedo Han interaction. Okay. And it's not even their interaction. Their interaction's fine. Mm -hmm. Right? Han's smooth talking all that stuff. It is that Chewie literally has maybe one step on Han. <laughs> right? He's literally like Chewie, you go fix, you go get the ship ready. Yeah. They literally leave the booth at the same time. Yeah. 
and Greedo pulls a gun on Han, yeah. and Chewie just keeps walking. Yeah. Chewie, and you actually, if you look in the background, you see Chewie walk out the door yeah. without Han. Like, he doesn't look back and say, hey, yeah. where'd you go? You were mid-sentence. You're saying, you go get the ship ready, I'm gonna, boom, gunpoint. <laughs> like, he doesn't even look back. Like, I, it was always sort of passive-aggressive to me, like, I may have a life debt to you, but if your life ends, I get mine back, sort of the thing. Oh, my back was turned out. How could I have yeah, seen oh, oh, I'm sorry that you I said You told me to leave. So one, one punch would have ripped through his head. Like, I'm sorry that I didn't turn around. You could have just grabbed and palm Greedo's whole head. One attack for the Empire. Chalman's spaceport cantina in Mos Eisley was revisited a number of times after the release of Star Wars, most notably on the holiday special, where B. Arthur famously played Akmina, the night shift bartender. Other than the reused costumes and masks from the movie, the only noteworthy part of this segment is Akmina singing as she kicks the patrons out and closes up the bar. The other best-known homage to the cantina was on the Richard Pryor show in 1977, Pryor, the greatest comedian of all time, played the bartender of the Star Bar, where he served a dozen rowdy, argumentative, amorous, and devilish aliens. The primary difference, of course, was Pryor's style of comedy, and use of a racial slur I can't repeat to deliver the funniest line in the entire show. You can find segments from both the Star Wars Holiday Special and the Richard Pryor Show online. I highly recommend checking out the latter. It's a classic. Speaking of finding videos online, my guest Bobby Anderson is a contributor to the Red Circus Hour, a series of humorous web shorts. You can find the videos on YouTube by searching Red Circus Hour. I want to thank Bobby for appearing on this episode. If you enjoyed listening to this show and you'd like to offer feedback, you can leave a comment on the show's blog page at deadboffinspies.blogspot.com or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadboffinspies. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes, and you can track me down on Twitter, at RyanDaily01, or the username CountDrunkula. Dead Both and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and until next time... Play it again for Grindan.
must be for you, said the Uglies. <coughs> yeah, your wife wants you to come home. He said, with the water, water, with the water, water, water. 